welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. How are you, Ryan? Getting there. You're better than me. <laughs> Manchester United, oh my goodness. Generally, I'm good though. It has been a lovely weekend in spite of United result against Newcastle. I gave a reading of some poetry, which was really exciting, at um, the third anniversary of a great magazine in Berlin called Daddy Magazine. Um, they've got a great ethos, sort of queer-friendly, uh, friendly to people of colour, anti-racist, anti-sexist, really nice ethos. And tonight I'm on the train after we've recorded this. Yeah, we were, yeah should, we should probably explain, do the disclaimer. Yeah, disclaimer, yeah. We're missing a couple of massive games recording this early, actually. Barcelona are playing Sevilla. Sevilla and we're missing the Derby dell'Italia as well. And Griezmann's been dropped for that game. <gasps> I know, I know. Isn't it so funny? Griezmann is he being dropped or is he being rested? Put it this way. You, you don't rest Griezmann against a team like Sevilla, for starters. You do. Do you, really? Given how yeah, they do it? Yeah, especially when you've got a, a Messi and Suarez who... I don't know. I don't yeah, know exa- yeah Just, exactly. Look, Put it this way. Let's look back in time. Look back in time. Griezmann's out here making a video of his non-move to Barca like it's some gender reveal for a new child. And now look at him now. Look, at, It's so funny how football changes. Like... That would have been a perfect move at that point in time, I think, at that point for Griezmann to go to Barca. And the timing is just off. Yeah, that whole video, I mean, we're going way, way, way back in time here, but that yeah. whole video was just, it just reeked a little bit of um, NBA free agency. It's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, we'll, we'll get into, we'll get into the, the games now. We have no to. one was to hear us talking about this, by the way. About what? United. Griezmann's video from over a year ago. Sorry, okay, let's just cut that out. No, no, keep it. We're just, we're just delaying the inevitable. Okay, let's talk about Manchester United. Liverpool are going to win the league. What are you talking about? Of course they are. But I've, I've accepted that. I always thought this. Do you know what I love about what they've done this year as a team? And I, I'm a United fan, but I, I'm a football fan first and foremost. You look at a team that has solved every problem. And the beauty of what Liverpool did in the Champions League was they went out and they solved every problem, right? Mm-hmm. The problem at centre-back, Van Dijk. A problem in goal distribution, Alisson. They had a problem with uh, goalkeeping depth. They brought in Adrian. You know, this is what I love about the best coaches. They find solutions. You know, um, I would compare what Klopp has done with Liverpool to actually what Joachim Löw did um, in Germany's successful World Cup run 2014, where he kept finding solutions at the defensive midfield position. You lose Kadira, you lose Kramer, and you adjust. And I think that's the key. The best coaches keep adjusting and making solutions right to the very end. And Klopp has just been problem solving. Game by game, month by month, his squad management is superb. Liverpool are leaner, they're more brutal, they're more efficient, they're winning games where they don't look great and that is the mark of a great team. To win when you're at 60%, 65% because you're so good that you have something in reserve. That, that's the mark of a great team and I think they're going to go all the way this year. Yeah, this feels like they're kind of the peak of their cycle. It does, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. I think they deserve to beat Leicester, obviously, but they were helped a little bit with that decision. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to go straight in there because I think that... Well, why not? It's a podcast. Why not? We'll go straight in there. <laughs> Is that, why, why not? Yeah, it's a podcast. Yeah, yeah why not? Do whatever right. you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll just stick to no narrative no, structure. No, listen, stick it to the man. <laughs> what did you think about the penalty? Uh, well, it was a courageous decision to give that late, perhaps, because to give any penalty late in the game is courageous. Maybe an element of, well, there's a lot of talk of simulation. To be honest, when I saw it in real time, I didn't think it was a dive. And look, there's a lot of talk about Liverpool diving. And I just think that teams, that level of competition in tight games, very few forwards are angels. 
I think everybody dives. Right, exactly. Everybody dives sometimes. No, exactly. Like, everybody dives. That's the name of the podcast. Um, at a crucial point in a game, this is what a lot of elite forwards do. And it, it's not it's not specific to a club or a a type. I mean, we had a question from Harry Sethi about the emphasis on foreign players diving. I actually think it, it's more basic than that. I just think that these are elite athletes straining for competitive advantage in the knowledge that they lost the league by a point. And when the advantage is there, you take the advantage. I mean, I don't think many people stay on their feet in that scenario. But I also think that the penalty was one of those... Okay, so I have a few thoughts on the penalty. Right. First of all, if it wasn't given, I don't think anyone really complains. Yeah. That kind of makes me think it probably wasn't a penalty. But I also think that context is massively key here. If it was given in a 4-0 win, right. no one would be talking about it at all. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't. But the fact that it was last minute and to win the game, to maintain their 100% start to the season, there's way more emphasis put on there than yeah. there probably deserves to be. Really. I mean, and don't forget, I mean, like, let's, let's indict, I mean, Ashley Young has such a bad diving problem at United that people in the United camp were telling him about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you even need to go into the... Yeah. calling out any individual players because it's not a Liverpool-specific problem and it's not a Mane or Salah-specific problem either. It's just, it's it's a multitude of things. It's it's um. So I was watching it with my friend Pete, who's a Liverpool fan, and I said to him that I at the time, as soon as, like real time, I didn't think it was a penalty. Right. And we got talking about it a little bit and I was saying that, like Pete, had a really valid point. He said, you know, if he doesn't go down there, he doesn't get anything. And I said, yeah, that's valid. But also just because there's contact doesn't mean it's a foul. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. True. I don't think there's enough contact there to warrant a foul. Right. In the same way that sometimes with tackles where there's zero contact at all, it warrants a foul. Does that make sense? Because yeah. you've impeded the player. I just think that... I'm not even that bothered. I, I can't even... Here's no, I'm term, not really, here's actually. Term, I just thought the thing. it was like, everyone was talking about it, so... Yeah, I almost feel like... Do you know what it is with the Liverpool fans at the moment, I think? I think there's a, there's a couple of things going on. I think wanting to win the league is great, and they want to win the league. But I think it's also about wanting to be seen to win it fairly. I think that's really important. It's not just about... There's an aesthetic quality to it. So the thought that you might win, and knowing there are so many clubs that I think begrudge Liverpool a victory, let's be honest, a lot of them begrudge them. So it's Liverpool, I think, there's a little bit of... I get it. There's a defensiveness about we're, we're doing this fair and square. We're doing this right. And I, I get that actually. And I, to be honest, if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd probably feel similar. The fact that you don't want people to be like, this is an asterisk. This is a league title that we've won. Yeah, but, but it won't be an asterisk though. It won't be no, but at these, all. I know it won't, but these are things that you, I'm, I'm not excusing. I'm saying these are things that you worry about when you want to be a club, when you, you know, United the same about values and whatever. I mean, Chelsea, Chelsea don't, they don't give two, two hoots about. Yeah, but habits. no one remembers that. But they will. And it's not. It's not. I'm not saying that other people do. It's about your own club. Oh, to be honest, if it was if it was my club and they hadn't won the league since 1990, I wouldn't care because they've been the best team. I think years. in Europe for two years. Well, they're literally the best team in Europe last season. If you're going to go off the the top trophy, and I think they were so desperately, desperately unlucky not to win the league last season. And the Champions League against Real, they were the better. You know, the, the first 15 minutes when they had their team, they were hounding them. Yeah. They couldn't so play out. If they were to win the league this season, no one is going to be the asterisk scenic because of a penalty that they got in the 94th minute or wherever it was against Leicester. You can argue on form, actually, that Liverpool should have won, well, on form or whatever, like for Liverpool to have won two consecutive doubles of league and Champions League 
would not have been unreasonable or outlandish. Well, did you see that thing? That I think they've got 101 points from the last 38 league games now. It's wild, yeah. Which is just It's wild, yeah. It's bizarrely yeah. good. Uh, best team in Europe. Can I be a little bit of a buzzkill, though? Go ahead. They've had quite a kind start to the season, fixture-wise. Chelsea um, away and Arsenal at home are the only real big tests that they've... I wouldn't even class Arsenal at home, to be honest, as a big test, really. Um... Chelsea away also at that time Chelsea weren't really looking good now eh? yeah they're looking good, great now yeah really lovely but, now yeah. you know early bit of the season there was quite a lot of tweets going around from Liverpool Twitter being like it's eight points we can't mess this up and I was I was a bit like you it's can. October yeah it is October right I'm not losing my mind you're not it's October it's October that's, that's abs- not that is not a big gap in, in October we're, we're two months into a seven month season do you know where it is a big gap psychologically no we're not we're two months into a nine month season right but the, the only reason it is a big gap is because of the specific pressures are on City's squad so it would not be a big gap if you're like that schedule if you ha- if City had all the key players fit and it was just bad scheduling and fine the fact that City have such readily identifiable flaws well you've said this a million times go straight down the middle go straight down the throat hey listen um, that's it that is exactly what Wolves did on the weekend but quickly before we move on from Liverpool Liverpool fans don't worry about it enjoy it this is a someone who isn't a really I mean I wouldn't even class Arsenal as a rival to Liverpool at the moment mm. and I actually, mean, actually neither, you, neither should you really be a Manchester United fan <laughs> I haven't regarded Liverpool as a legitimate rival for the last since 2012 no no in, in terms of United being a threat to them I and mean, they've not been a threat for four years they finished ahead in the league but even in terms of where they were going in terms of their trajectory Liverpool, where they were going, their growth was just different levels. So Liverpool are eight points clear. They are. After eight games. By my maths, that's one point a game. This league table <laughs> is comical. Like, not actually, no, that's not fair. That's not fair on clubs who are doing a great job of the coaching. So Leicester, full respect. Burnley, wonderful job. Brighton, getting a lovely result against Spurs. Crystal Palace. Pal- hey, listen, Palace, a wonderful... I really like seeing Roy Hodgson happy. So do I. So do I. The bottom is worrying, though. Watford are bottom. And what, Norwich... What price? You know, I think that... I sometimes feel like Norwich summoned some kind of caco demon with a pentagram. They were like, oh, you'll get to beat City and have a great win. But what price? Oh, no, a small price. A small price, Norwich. And Farker Norwich, made the deal. Norwich... Farker have, made the deal. They have paid some horrifying price. Against Villa, like... Norwich looked, they've been possessed. There's a psychological component. And it's funny because you saw it with, um, we're skipping across the Bundesliga. Lucien Favre spoke after Dortmund's two-all draw against Freiburg this weekend. And he gave a great interview and he said, look, he just came out and said, one of the first statements he said, because Dortmund conceded a late equaliser, we have to defend. We have to play to the very end, to mm. the final moments. And you look at psychologically him coming out and saying Dortmund have a problem with concentration and Norwich there's a problem there with intensity. There is a problem. And I'm, I'm not saying that to judge them. I'm just saying this, it's not about ability or quality. And, and, and Everton as well have a problem with intensity and the psychology. There's something going on there as well. There's definitely something on there as well. Yeah, I'm a, we, got, we had a question on Everton. It's quite mean. It's oh from no. Sean. Oh no. At Sean on Twitter. Asked this before on the other podcast, but interested to hear it. If Moose's opinion has changed. Is Marco Silva a fraud? He's not a fraud, but Everton are a catfish. Do you know what? I think everyone's a catfish. This league is just so deep, I think, in terms of base quality. Yes. And I might be completely wrong here. And if I am, please don't come after me. 
but it just kind of feels like I wouldn't be surprised if, say, Watford, for example, took a point off Liverpool at some point this season. Do you know what I mean? Or something like that. I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't yeah. be as surprising as it has been in recent years. Right. You know? Because it, you're right, because actually individually, the quality of the coaches and the squads is high. The coaches in particular. So if you're on an off day, if, if, if Pochino comes in at 70% in terms of his coaching intensity and his team comes in at 70 and Brighton come out at 95, both on the pitch and tactically, Destroy gonna, you. Gonna, and, and that is the thing, the margins, because the quality of coaching is unbelievable. Hasenhüttl is an excellent coach and Lampard blew him out of the water. Like, I mean, on that, I mean, we're kind of darting around all over the place. We but are, we are. Southampton were dreadful. Yeah. And they were brilliant until Chelsea scored, actually. And they were dreadful afterwards. But quickly on that, because we've got a lot to cover. Of course, but yeah. My hot take from that game was that Jorginho should have been sent off before Chelsea scored. Because he got booked for a tackle. and then. One of the most blatant dives I've ever seen <laughs> oh, in his God. own box, oh, wow. which he got a free kick for. And it was so blatant. And he screamed as well. And I really, really thought that was a yellow card. It was, and then Chelsea went over the other end and scored. So Chelsea is so funny. I what? feel like I'm like the guy in front, you know, the, the always sunny in Philadelphia meme. Yeah, the meme, you're connecting the dots. It's a conspiracy, right? Absolutely. I stole that from Bill Simmons. <laughs> right. No, but um, see, we are jumping around a bit, but that is a bit of a theme about the quality of coaching. If you aren't on your game, you see what Graham Potter did to Spurs. They had that one weakness and he was straight down the throat. And the same with Wolves. You know, City came out and they didn't, they weren't quite as fluid as before. Defensively, Otamendi, I mean, but he's been, he, he did that against Norwich as well. I mean, him stepping out for the first goal. That opened the whole thing up. I, I feel like wealthy clubs this season are on some kind of mission to demystify wealth. They're like, they're out here to tell us, oh, just because you've got money doesn't mean you're the best. Like the way sometimes looking at Guardiola, he gets a bit Elon Musk sometimes. You know, like Elon Musk is like, you know. You're going to be like smoking blunts Well, the genius, the genius that over- Joe Rogan. <laughs> Imagine if Pep went on the Joe Rogan. <laughs> By the end of the season, he will be. He will be. Oh my God, I sound like I've been smoking blunts. End of the season, Guardiola is going to be on the... Uh, <laughs> smoking blunts Joe on Joe Rogan. Rogan and he'll be like see it's not even about the Gagan press anymore it's about the Gagan Gagan press <laughs> and Joe's just like right Pep, on man pepception wheels within wheels tactics within tactics there are times you really feel like he has stared at the tactics board for too long Guardiola because everyone it, it was it was so foreshadowed that City was struggling defence it was so foreshadowed that you know United would struggle in attack these problems were so telegraphed. This is the thing about Spurs, right? Spurs and everything to an extent, the consolation they can both take is that these problems were not foreseeable. Who could have known that Spurs would have a short circuit in intensity because the team was so highly strung for so long? You couldn't have known that. Like, there's a lot of talk now. Jack Pitbrook wrote a piece for The Athletics, very interesting, in which he said, there's not an open mutiny, but the player's just exhausted of playing under Pochettino. I was like, well, yeah, that kind of is a mutiny. Like, if you're leaking that, but I'm not, I'm not having a go at Jack Pitbrook. It's actually a very well-sourced piece. It's a well-written piece. It's more like the, the euphoria that surrounded the recruitment for Spurs this summer. And everyone looked at that and thought, that is a superb transfer window. But we didn't factor in what they always call, I think Bill Simmons called the intangibles. The things, you know, sort of the unknown unknowns. We assumed that the players that were excelling would continue to excel at the same level. Who was to know that Kieran Trippier would be the most creative player in the Spurs team? Who would know that 
well, there's something that the right back problem is obvious, but who would know that certain players form a fall off a cliff? Yeah, but I think the right back thing is legit. It's huge. No, it's huge. And it's that is a massive, massive oversight. It's huge. On Spurs' part. It's huge, but 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 the other structural issues there. Because it knocks onto every other part of the team. We had this conversation like on the last podcast when I was talking about Bellerin. Right. And it's a really, really important part of, of a team Absolutely. when you play the way that Spurs do. If you don't have someone of Kieran Trippier's level there, or someone who has the equivalent skill set that can really add to Spurs' system, it's not just that that is affected. It's everything around yeah. it. It's like, I, I don't want to compare real life to FIFA Ultimate Team but it's like the little lines on FIFA Ultimate Team for how well things connect together it is yeah, like that it is this is like running a marathon on a sprained ankle without without the right fullback yeah. you, you cannot you don't have the mobility you don't have the agility I mean look at look at Guardia look how ordinary he looked in his first season we didn't have the fullbacks he wanted it's a massive part of the modern game it's huge it's the first place on every pitch where you get space it's the one part that you're most likely to like a flank you know, a flank is a less is the least dangerous area. A deep line flank player. That's why Daley Blind plays there for Ajax. That's why he plays there for Holland. It used to be that central midfielders were the people on the pitch that were asked to do the most. That's really started to transition out. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I still think in terms of the overall aspects of the game, I think central midfielders are still asked to do the most. I agree. But I think from a physical point of view, I really think that fullbacks, wingbacks whatever you want to call them. They're, sure. they're asked to do so much because they're integral to defending and defending in transition and attacking and attacking in transition. That's massive. Absolutely. And if you lose someone like Trippier and not to replace him, like I think Sissoko is a decent player. You know, he was one of Spurs' best players last season. But putting him at right back, again, it's it's moving things around that didn't need to be moved so around. And so much of that squad is full of players that could be earning so much more money elsewhere. Yeah. You know, and they all really bought into the project. As soon as that project stops being fun, yeah. the whole thing falls apart. So true. If, if one or two or three of them want out... You have to pay them the money. If it falls apart now, there's no trophies to show for it in terms of a progression thing. You know, yeah. like if there had been a European Cup, for example, it would have been huge for Spurs. Even an FA Cup, The players really, attract as well. The way that the modern game is set up, trophies aren't as important as they were, right. I don't think, you know, because of the financial things of getting Champions League and all this kind of stuff. But I think players do want to win stuff. Do you know what's so cool about Spurs, though? The fact that the Champions League final only really lasted two minutes. Mm. That upset me from a footballing point of view, but also because I've seen the trajectory of what Pochino's done. And I've got friends who are Spurs fans, and they saw that growth, and they, they never got their place in the sun. They never got a chance to really enjoy that final it felt quite similar to me with Atleti getting to the final that first time when Diego Costa was injured from the get-go yeah and they never really got to enjoy that moment and that kind of saddened me because clubs like that you know particularly Spurs they do do things the right way they do do things the right way like the refinancing of the stadium and so I really I just hope they hang on to Pochettino because he's a genius he's a genius and he deserves success because like I say he does football the right way I don't think he should go and I don't think Spurs should get rid of him at all I think he's way more credit in the bank yeah you know I and, and I'm better to sell players and move players on than to and that, that 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 situation is remediable oh for sure for sure it is for, I mean you know Spurs wanted him to be a legacy manager kind imagine, of thing imagine Van Der Beek from uh, Ajax cheeky little signing midfield 
Sorry, I'm just getting excited. Anyway, look, let's move on. Donny. Let's do a, let's do Manchester United if you don't mind, just because I want to sort of leap into that and get that over with. Um sorry, just before we do go yeah. on Spurs, we've kind of answered it. You know, we had a question from High Life Carter. Can mm. Pochettino fix the problem at Spurs? It feels like he's coming to the end of his tenure. Tenure. Ooh. One of those words you only say in football terms. Yeah. Sad way to go if it does happen. See, I don't think he will go. He's not the end of his tenure. Who else is available that Spurs are going to want to get in? Allegri? He's maybe the only guy available, right? He's not as good as Pochettino. He's not. Like Pochettino's like pound for pound, possibly the best coach in the world in terms of what he's done with. I mean, Klopp at the moment because of what Klopp's doing. But Klopp and Pochettino are arguably cause Guardiola, but Guardiola again overthinks things. In terms of problem solving, and I mean, Pochettino and Klopp are, they're on a different level. Throw Sean Dyche in there as well. He's brilliant. Dyche is brilliant. Um, so I'd want to respect him. Can I also say, this is the funny thing with Burnley. Burnley obviously trying to play a more expansive game and all of a sudden they were like, you know what, actually, that worked. Why don't we get even better? Why don't we double down on what we did before? But just like, it's almost like Atleti. You know Atleti, basically, you're going to be defensive. You've got to be super efficient on the counter and at set pieces. So basically Burnley just upped the intensity in key areas and the execution. And now they're flying again. Mm. Stuck to their guns. But no, Pochettino is, <laughs> I mean, he's, I can't, the only coach in the world better than Pochettino right now, I would say is Klopp. I really would say that. So I think getting anyone else is a step backwards. Should we take a break and then move on? Yeah, let's do it. All right, back from the break. And we're going to the motherland, Manchester. Yes, so Manchester City losing 2-0 to Wolves. We'll get into that very quickly. Adama Traore coming back against his old boss, Guardiola. With two great goals on the counter, both in the same corner, great finishes. So good. Give, you know what's so funny about that dude? Like, he is absolute, like, he's a big unit, but he can motor. Like, he's got... Are you trying to say pace and power, Musa? Do you know, actually, can I say this? He's got pace and power. <laughs> like, the speed... <laughs> yes, I took it there. The thing about Adama Chori and... Jimenez. Jimenez ran the break. It was like fast breaking in basketball, running the mm. counter beautifully and knowing just when to release the ball. I think both times he sprung Traore, which was a really nice um, one-two punch. Yeah, we mentioned it earlier, didn't we? But Otamendi stepping out, it was just like, don't Wild. do it, don't do it. He's done it. He's done it. Do you know He's what was nice? It. What was lovely about um, the second finish from Traore was the way that he cuts across, I think it was Fernandinho, mm. cutting through on goal. So he had to foul him, Yeah, uh, which is such a classic run sort of outside to in. But that first finish. one was what? Two Wolves players against five or six City players. Right. Brutal. Brutal. They looked fine, Man City, defensively, because they had numbers. It was just Otamendi stepping out. It just completely opened the whole thing up. A clown show. It was really, really poor defending, actually. So it's the first time that City have lost at home without scoring, I think. So Wolves the first team. Under Guardiola. Under Guardiola, yeah. yeah, Wow. So yeah, um, they're in trouble at the moment. City, what trouble. They're struggling at the moment in that sense. And the fact that Norwich and Wolves are the teams that have beaten them, that has to weigh on City because those are six points they should have picked up, Mm. really should have picked up. And now other teams who've got more firepower and more resilience than than, uh, Norwich and Wolves will be looking and thinking, yeah, we can do that too. And they should, they're entitled to feel that. Yeah, I mean, if they beat Liverpool twice though, it's only two points already. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... It's not a big gap. I know it looks like a massive gap, but it's not yet. No, that's absolutely right. If it was the end of April, then for sure. And weirdly, City are probably more impressive in those 
big games mm. because they turn up with that intensity. I think sometimes teams like Wolves and Norwich can catch City a bit cold, yeah. particularly when they're used to steamrolling teams and having so much of the ball. And those two games, well, the City-Liverpool game at the Etihad last season was probably one of the most mentally exhausting games I've ever seen. That game is still one of the best games I've seen in the last one. It's one of the best games I've seen in the last 10 years. Yeah. I know it's a massive cliche using boxing analogies, but it really felt like a a, a fight that went the distance, you know, too, oh, yeah. too heavy, like a slugfest. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was. I'll never forget seeing Raheem Sterling in like the 94th minute, basically pulling out to the left and stretching the pitch another 20 yards and Bernardo Silva just doing basically a triathlon. Mm. I mean, what, like around 14 kilometres, something wild? Like, absolutely wild. So to the red half of Manchester. Oh my goodness. We took a... Went up north to the northeast for the weekend. Yep. Came back with Nout. As actually a lot of people would have expected, this was not a shock. This result was not a shock to anyone who's been paying attention. Yeah, I also thought that this game could have been one of those where all of a sudden United just win 3 or 4-0. Do you know what I mean? They have those games sometimes, don't they? When they're in a bad run of form and all of a sudden it's just like, oh, this is just United doing United. They, they all of a sudden remember who they are. Right. Unfortunately, today we remembered who we were. Oh no! We, we were, yeah, we remembered who we are. We are a uh, extremely average team. I think only four teams have scored fewer goals than us this year. Nine goals we've scored in eight matches. Very poor. And the problem is the goals we're scoring, we're not constructing goals really. And this is a damning, and I don't want to name names, but there are players in United's team, and I won't name names, who in previous years would not be the third option at their position. They wouldn't be. They wouldn't be in the frame. And the problem with United is it's the it's the slow drip of, of mediocrity. It's almost like post-Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls, post-Phil Jackson Chicago Bulls. You know how the Bulls have never really recovered from those glory years. And I think a lot of the time with the Bulls, they're almost like, oh, just one more coach, just one more big signing. It's like, no, like you had the combination of the greatest manager or the greatest coach of modern times and the greatest player. You had that combination and you, you need to get over that. And it's so interesting how it's so difficult for big teams to get over themselves. It, this institutional hubris at United, which is a rot that goes beyond the Glazers, weirdly enough, actually. It's an expectation. It's an entitlement. And look, I think that actually football clubs are less immune to that entitlement than like people like you or me, artists, writers, because as, an, as a writer, as an artist, you, you're trying to build a legacy. So you're only as good as your last book, your last project. So you don't get complacent so quickly. You don't coast unless you're kind of like someone who's sold 10 million books at United. Big football clubs, they get this kind of swagger about them and the confidence turns into a delusion. So everything is sinking around you. It's like living in like one of those like sort of big, like, you know, mansions. And it's like Bruce Wayne. It's like Bruce Wayne living in like, out like outside Gotham. And, uh, and Al uh, Alfred goes up to him. The butler is like, Bruce, you've not had a, you've not been a fist fight for eight years, and now you're going to go fight Bane. Look how hungry. And he, that video in The Dark Knight Rises, when he shows Bruce Wayne how Bane's been beating people up, he goes, Look at him. Bane is like you when you were young. He's hungry. And we're like Man United now. We're like Bruce Wayne in his mansion and Liverpool at Bane. And they're eating everyone. We're still thinking, Oh, we can go come to Liverpool. No, we're not. But Batman ends up defeating Bane. But here's the thing. Not without some the one thing that Bruce, The one thing that Bruce Wayne developed in that film, which United don't have, is self-awareness. And we have not yet developed self-awareness. We're still floating around in this delusional state. Um, I say the club, the institution. And Ed Woodward, 
Here's the thing as well. It's so extraordinary. It's the arrogance of wealth, the arrogance of the glazers to be just because you're good at spreadsheets. Put it this way. You would never ask a player from the dressing room to be in charge of the financial investments, but somehow Ed Woodward is entitled to build. The, it's, it's actually the arrogance of wealth. It's just about money. It's basically the glazers saying nothing matters more than the financial side and the financial people. It's a real disrespect and the contempt, the glazers' contempt for culture, for fan culture, for anything outside corporate culture is biting them. That's what this is about. It's, it's as purely simple as that. Like football is just like a wider metaphor, really, for wider society, where it's overrunning everything. It is, though, isn't it? Look at, look at like, look how badly big clubs are spending their money. Look at the things they're throwing money on. If you actually had people that really cared about football from a grassroots level, right, all the entire structure of the game would be far healthier. Like, and this isn't just the United thing. Look how much they're paying unnamed Arsenal playmaker. Like, or whatever, like look how much clubs are throwing. And if you think about the grassroots game, the things that are struggling, and look how much healthier football would be if all that money didn't just trickle down, that's an offensive phrase in itself. If this money actually was redistributed around the game at a healthy level, it would just be stunning. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with any of that, but yeah. I don't really have, I don't really know how we've got from United to that. Because it makes you reflect on, when you look at how a club is squandering resources, and squandering social capital. You look at what a great institution United is at its best, right? And you look at a club that basically is being run with a contempt for everyone that like loves it and even consumes it, even if it's a product. But United haven't been anything else for over a decade. But it was unpopular to talk about it. Like if you talked about it, there'd be a lot of backlash because people are like, oh, things are good, why are you complaining? But it's like, well, fundamentally, we'll have to reckon with this at some point. Like everyone knew that the party would end. Like it was a thing that was constantly talked about, even under Ferguson. And going back to the Rock of Gibraltar and falling out with the Irish owners. Well, that's kind of why the Glazers are there. Exactly. And we said this, this is, but it was, it was difficult to say that. You won't catch the people in a position to talk about it saying, actually, this is Sir Alex Ferguson's. He's culpable to an extent for them being there. And there are, big names there. And this is why I'm wary of, you know, but the reason I'm having this conversation about structures is because a lot of people, the inclination is why I haven't criticized specific players on the pitch. I said, it again, there are players there who are United speak wouldn't be third or fourth choice in their positions. I haven't named specific players because I don't want to contribute to that tide of discontentment because the problems are structural and they, they're about people wanting to take accountability or not at the very highest level, not just the pundits, but the professionals and so on. Yeah. I mean, I think United have got a lot of work to do upstairs. I mean, they could fix, they could fix some of the problems by getting a new manager right now. They could. Yeah, but. They could. I mean, who would they get? Allegri again? I was, I was joking, but I think Hiddink actually. Six months for Hiddink. Six months and say, yeah, listen. But you've, yeah, but, I th- but that's only going to, that's like putting a bandaid on it. You they know? need a bandaid. They literally need, this is the thing. Okay, let's look, let's look long term. Put a bandaid on it. Look, Chelsea did it. The beauty of Chelsea. Yeah, I, I, I know. I'm not yeah, saying that it's yeah. not a bad idea yeah. in isolation, but what comes next? Yeah, get a Band-Aid and start recruiting. Say, listen, okay, this is what I would do. If but I you, was, you think that that'll happen? You I think, think that they'll no, be able to do that? I don't think they will want, I don't think they can do it. They're united. They do what they like. They can ask Hiddink. He's like a, what, China under 23s. They can say, look, we'll let you go back to them, work out some deal for six months. We'll look for someone in the meantime. And we'll look for a replacement. We'll look for a director of football. Ask him. What do we need? You did this at Chelsea. You turned it around. 
what were the structures that enabled things going forward? Now, Chelsea, the beauty of Chelsea is Chelsea don't care what people think about them. And look at them now. No one can argue they're not in a good position. They're playing the football they want to. They're scoring the goals they want to. They've got the youth products doing well. They want to. They've got a manager the, the, the fans love. It's great. Yeah, but this is exactly what United did, really. They got in a manager that the fans loved and everyone was over the moon because they were doing quite well for a bit. Well, there's a massive difference because even when, when even as euphoric as I was when we beat PSG, I said, I came out and said, I think almost straight away, that is too soon to give them the job. And a few of us did say, a few of us came out and said on even Twitter and were like, this is like, okay, there was no harm in waiting. No, I mean, yeah, there wasn't. And of course they didn't wait and then they... It went off a cliff. But I think also after PSG, there was so much goodwill there that a lot of people were just kind of swept along with, which is fine. We, we, that's also it's, fine. It's, it's, it's not a, that's, it, it's football. That's what it does. It's football, but also like the problems all are not, of course, completely his because, you know, you get rid of a goal scorer like Lukaku. And again, everyone was like, well, who's going to score? Rashford and Martial had not been converting chances at a high clip. They score beautiful goals, but they weren't volume goal scorers. They never really have been. I mean, United have got a lot of injuries as well, and there's a lot of pressure on Rashford. We got a question from Mash St. Paddy about Rashford. Marcus Rashford, weighed down by the burden of expectation, not a number nine, or is Manchester United simply the sunken place? If Rashford were at Chelsea, he'd be scoring more goals because the volume of chances Chelsea create. Chelsea's problem has been like finishing, but the volume of chances they create give a striker more confidence. The problem with United is they're not creating a high quality of chance. Yeah, I also don't think Rashford is an alpha, which I don't, that's not a criticism, by the way. Right. It's just, I don't think that all players need to be alphas. It's like with the NBA. You, know, you look at someone like Paul George, thrives a little bit better when there's someone else there, you know. And that's great. I mean, it's great to be that person. Um, But yeah, you're, you need a Dwayne Wade. You need someone that's going to run it. And I think yeah. that actually, I do think a different forward. Like not everyone's LeBron. No. And yeah. I do think that different forward, actually a brilliant forward at United, like in terms of a brilliant goal scorer, a volume goal scorer, would thrive there. They could have gone after Icardi. Um, we need to shout out Newcastle here because Newcastle were really, really good. And the long staff bros. Quality. Absolutely. I, this was really nice. Like I know it's obviously in a bad situation for Manchester United fans, but as a story, it was Screw. so great. Yeah, it's great. You know, That's what it's about. Two local kids playing, brothers playing in midfield together. One of them making his debut, scoring the winning goal, oh, and a beautiful goal for his hometown club. And the odds, actually, and again, the odds on any local kid making it in a globalized game are small enough, but to make it with your brother, like, that's just absolutely wild. What are the odds on that? Imagine putting a bet on that fifteen years ago. And retire the, off that. It was so good. Like the interview afterwards was really sweet as well. And he got man of the match and his brother was there to give it to him. And then when he got it, he said that his brother was the best player on the pitch. It was just all very nice. It's so wholesome. After your horrible, horrible rant about football for ages, it was very nice. Yeah, it was wholesome. But no, no, I'm not I'm not begrudging Newcastle. I, I really they deserved a a break, actually, because they've had a tough time of it. And the fans have had a tough time of it historically. I mean, it's, we've always talked about how the fans have never quite got the team their passion and support deserves. They're a very sort of patient, you know, crowd considering everything they've been through. That's because of the owner they've got. They've not got the owner they deserve. No, absolutely. Which is well, full of death. Yeah, of course. And of course, and that's well documented. And I'm just glad for them. And it does, when you have a loss, like when you have a loss and you have an abject game, it does make it easy when you see who you lose to. Does that make sense? Mm. Getting done and getting a bad defeat when you're like, well, actually, I like what Newcastle are about. Actually, and I, like, I like the fans. I know it's a huge cliche, but St. James's Park 
on you know Sunday evening and afternoon games in the winter. Awesome. They're going to take some points off people, I think. For sure. I hope they do quite well because it's such a gigantic football club. You know, they, those fans have kind of, they deserve some something to be cheerful about. For sure, for sure. Because it could be a tough year still. Especially uh, after Rafa went as well, which was just, you know. How you let a guy like that walk away? Well, it's the Athletic, man. The Athletic took everyone. You know, yeah. <laughs> they did, they did. They even got Rafa. Oh, well, um, right, we're, we're running really long. You've got to go and catch your train in a minute. So, I do, yeah. Right, yeah. we're missing two massive games, like we said. We're missing Barcelona, Sevilla. Yeah. Actually, I might, be, might actually get to watch this while I'm editing. Ooh. Uh, in La Liga, quickly... Oh, Atleti aren't scoring goals, Musa. Five clean sheets in a row, isn't it? Yeah, but they they probably not scored for about they've eight. They've doubled down on Atleti. They've gone peak Atleti. Diego Costa's not working. It's not working. If Simeone wants to be a little bit brave, I think there's a real potential for a slight system shift here. Taking one striker out. 4-3-3. I think they could do some real damage. Yeah, two wide forwards. Lamar and um, Felix either side of Morata. Morata. Yeah. And then just roam. Get an extra creative person of in Of course, there. Thomas Partey's playing out of his mind. He's balling out. Best midfielder. 4 3 3 Probably best this. midfielder in La Liga this season. Yeah, running things. Oh, but no, 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 no. He's not. Odegaard. Mm, Odegaard, hey, he's mm, been, hey, that guy's been the, tr- he's been he the truth. He has been amazing, but been I, the truth. I, 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 think, I think Thomas Partey's been... He's been a boss, but Odegaard's been the truth. For sure. Like, I, I love, I love, I, I didn't love know Partey. the two weren't mutually. They're very different. Okay. Yeah, that's that some street slang. Well, yeah, it's urban. Sorry, in urban circles. Hey, did you go from... to Eaton? Well, Eaton's you got about urban does, fam. Does Eaton, Eaton's got streets, hasn't it? Well, suburban then. It's suburban, suburban circles. Why? What's wrong with suburban circles? This class war. Are we starting a class did you war? Say, did you say please after all your insults. We did. We did. We're gentle, <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> I'm a warrior poet, by the way. There's a there's a there's a long history of warrior poets. I thought you were a shy poet. I'm a warrior poet. I can't keep up with all your so aliases. aliases. <laughs> You're the one with aliases. I don't have any aliases. The musical man. Listen, I'm no, going to start. I'm, I'm Ryan and I'm Rilo Ren and I'm sometimes Conspiracy Rye. And you're Bad Buffy as well. I think I've grown out of Bad Buffy. Well, well, we'll see. So as it stands in La Liga at yep. time of recording, which is going to all change soon, probably. But, uh, but Real Madrid at the top. Actually, that's not going to change soon because Barca can't overtake them. Atleti is second still. Barca could go second. So they Rail. might be second by the time you hear this. So you find how Real are in crisis and then just like did Granada 4-2. But, you know, good side, Granada. Bundesliga. Oh my goodness. That. We should have spent ages talking about the Bundesliga this week. So mentioning Gladbach top, shout out to Wolfsburg, who are an undefeated club this season. Women and men's teams, both undefeated. Yep. Shout out to Joseph Bracalo, Croatia um, international, who's just been making really great incursions. What's interesting with Wolfsburg, have they signed um, Joao Victor? as a wide forward and was threatening Bracalo's place, but both players have responded really well to that, that, that signing. They're just a really, they had a really smart piece of recruitment and Veghorst up front is... No problem. Yeah, looking good. They're a problem. It's nice to see them back up there. It is nice. And Dortmund, um, oh. as we mentioned earlier with Freiburg, the two will draw. Oh, another last minute own goal. Yeah. Well, then, oh, then, what was Akanji doing? And then Bayern losing to Hoffenheim. This was a really good game. And Hoffenheim it was. looked really, really good. They were not afraid at all. Yeah, they looked really good. They brought it to them. That's the thing. That these first couple of months, like smaller teams have been walking it to big teams. Yeah. All year. Well, the Bundesliga, I think, is probably, I think, mm, I think it's the most fun league at the moment. Right now, it's just out of La Liga in terms of how tasty it is. Yeah, but yeah. the Premier League is tasty. It's very tasty. And it's also hashtag best league in the world. Yes, of course. Hashtag yes. The best league in the world. <laughs> so much the best to have to tell everyone. Yeah. La Liga just quietly gets on with it. There's six points from Gladbach in first. 
to Hertha in 10th. That's wild. Top half plus one. Can I be honest with you as well? six points. Watford, I don't know if Watford have thought much about this. Letting Luca Bacchio go to oh, Hertha. Oh yeah, that was not a good That move. was not the one. This guy's got a hat trick against Bayern and you're selling a dude like that? They need to start defending though, Hertha. Not being funny, but you shouldn't be conceding three on the break like they did against Wolfsburg. You shouldn't be conceding three. No, I mean, they've scored 12, conceded 12. Right. And that's but, not a Hertha team. Hertha normally defensively a bit better than that. But you know, they won three on the bounce. It's Bundesliga is just a kind of... Um, it's a bloody good league. It's just a great league and people are jostling for position and games are tough. They're really just, again, mm. the coaching thing. There were just so many great coaches in that league. Uh, some bad news from us though. You know, Union are in trouble. They are. They've lost four on the bounce now and they're into where they are in the relegation zone. But we said about goals though. And this is the problem that Paderborn have as well. Paderborn are a good team but don't have the weight of goal scoring. Mm. And that is what gets you places. You look at Bayern. Bayern was struggling and then went out and got Coutinho and Perisic change the entire complexion of their attack. Dortmund need that international break so badly. So badly. When you're relying on Hakimi for your goal threats, something's gone wrong in the attack, the configuration. And it's so funny because the start of the season, I was really excited about two attacks in particular, Dortmund and Spurs, and both of them have kind of misfired. If you look at the recruitment mm. that, that Spurs made, La Celso, and you know, it was a really big addition to them. And Dombele brought that stability and, and the range. And Dortmund brought in Brandt. And really, I think, you know, both of us thought this is the year Dortmund take over the top. They had such a great attacking brain. They had Torgan Hazard as well. And they've kind of gone sideways. <laughs> but, the, here's, but here's the thing. They've got to still, defend. They've got to defend. And also, here's the beauty of it. Because other teams are dropping points, it is still all so much to play for. I mean, they're only four points off the top. But yeah, they've conceded 11. Grim times. But exciting. It is really exciting. It is really exciting. Um, you've got to get out of here. Oh, before we do go, um, anyone who ordered t-shirts, they should be on their way to you this week. I do believe they're being printed currently at Everpress. Fantastic. Uh, so thanks to everyone who ordered. Um, follow us on Twitter at Stadio. Follow us on Instagram at Stadio Football. If you do listen to the podcast on iTunes, please give us a rating and a review. It helps us. Yeah, the ratings have been so helpful. Yeah, way. thanks so to everyone helpful. who's left really kind ratings. We yeah. got We had one the other day that said, we were the Nestor of podcasts. And then the one after that was that we were the Pirlo of podcasts. Oh my God, it's incredible. <laughs> You've got quite a good beard, actually. Yeah, the beard game. My hair, yeah, very strong. Yeah, yeah. It's not for my first touch on my hair, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Maybe you could be the Nestor. I could be the Pirlo for the dodgy knees. Oh. Well, dodgy. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, on that note, playing out this week, Sun Ra, Nuclear War. Uh, this one has some swearing in it, so. Parental advisory. Don't listen to it around You're the children. sweary one, actually, on the podcast. Like, you're the sweary one, aren't you? Fuck off. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>